Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you have a moment, please visit us at ConsumerGuide.com. While you are there, check out our 2021 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new vehicle. You will also want to check out our blog for in-depth reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun car-related stuff. And if for some reason you have missed an episode or two of the podcast, you can stream back, uh, back shows right there on our homepage. How handy is that? Want to talk to us? Want to drop us a comment? Reach out at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work can be found all over the internet. Good morning, Jill Seminello. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, as the case yeah. may be. Yeah, I keep doing that. <laughs> I keep doing that. Oh, yeah, but you know, hey, it's morning somewhere, right? When, when I record a visit with Green Sense Radio, they make me start over when I do that. <laughs> we we are not that picky here. No, <laughs> no, I suppose we're not. Uh, oh, but hi. So, so so good so good news. Yes. The last two episodes of the podcast have been surprisingly popular. Awesome. Surprising. Why is that? Su- why, is that su- why is that surprising? Just because uh, <laughs> of the surge. Ah, okay. I'm not surprised that it's popular. I'm surprised how much more popular it became recently. Aha. Because we're we're super popular. Yes. (laughs) All right. That voice you heard was Damon Bell. He is senior editor here at uh, Consumer Get Automotive. And his new business, A Splash of Damon, will turn your old black and white (laughs) photographs into rainbow-hued portraits that you will treasure for a lifetime. Hey, Damon. You wrote that down, right? Do you have a script for that? You're not just pulling that off the top of your head, are you? You'll never know. What? What? <laughs> oh, I think I will. What's What's the? What, do I use watercolors or what is the? How, how fully have you thought this through? I haven't really researched your new business yet, so uh, okay, you'll have to tell me. Okay. Can I suggest? Can I suggest a catch-all uh, greeting? How about we just say good day to you? <laughs> it sounds kind of you know stiff upper upper lip, old English formal. I like it. Pleasant. Yeah. Good day. Good day, mate. And then and then I'll say pip pip for some reason. Cheerio. I never. Cheerio. Yeah. A <laughs> cheerio. Not Cheerios. It's funny that Cheerios. It's funny that I was just talking about how many people are downloading the podcast, and we're coming up with ways to make sure they never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our guest today is Robbie DeGraff, an analyst with Auto Pacific. He's joining us to talk about the touchscreen and connectivity revolution that is taking place in our cars. You don't want to miss this conversation. But first, Damon. Yes. Damon, that Jeep company, that Jeep brand. 
Indeed, they made some big news. Uh, what are actually, they doing? I think. Well, uh, it's officially being unveiled today as we record this. Um, yeah. And and this is a vehicle that was shown in concept form last fall, and it is the Jeep's new large, very large three-row SUV. It's the Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Uh, both are 2022 models, and both finally give Jeep a true uh, full-size SUV, which amazingly is something that it hasn't had in recent years. Uh-uh. Yeah, and, and just for point of clarification, Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer are not different sizes. They are basically different trim levels, though that gets very confusing. Yeah, there's it, it really, to do a deep dive into uh, all the different trim levels and models and names and, and packages <laughs> and stuff would take us all, all episode. Um, but the easiest way to think of it, and I think even the Wagoneer is going to be a fairly upscale vehicle. And yeah. you know, I think you, you, you illustrated it this way, too. It's, it's easiest to just think of it in terms of Wagoneer is about equivalent to a GMC Yukon and yes. Grand Wagoneer is like a high-level Yukon Denali or really more accurately uh, Cadillac Escalade in terms yeah. of luxury level. Um, and yet that gra- the, the Grand Wagoneer is going to be an incredibly luxurious, incredibly pricey vehicle. The top trim levels will crest the uh, $100,000 mark. Actually, pretty, pretty handily crest the $100,000 mark. I, I believe the... Yeah, the the top Series Three trim level is about one hundred and six thousand uh, dollars MSRP, and and we yeah. don't know what equipment can be added to it at that price. No, and, and during the press briefing, they actually said that um, probably the highest spec model will top one hundred and eleven thousand dollars. <laughs> so wow! There you have it. Yep. it, it yep. Interesting, too, we talk about the range of this thing. It ranges from sixty to about $106,000. But that $60,000 model it won't be available at launch. And if Jeep has learned anything from the Tesla playbook, maybe you never offer the cheap model. <laughs> if this thing is <laughs> yeah. yeah, popular, there's no point. Yeah, right. But so, like, talk, talk prices a little bit, because you say cheap model, and, and the cheap model is like $60,000. So, <laughs> base price for the Wagoneer, like the base Wagoneer Series One that we may never see, is just under sixty thousand dollars. I think it's like fifty nine 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 five or whatever with the destination fee. And and if you're looking at the Grand Wagoneer, you got to add thirty thousand dollars to that. <laughs> so yeah. you know, it, it's expensive. It's, it, what's interesting I wanna, too, I think, is is that that fifty nine 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 five is basically the top end price of a Chevrolet Tahoe. We should also mention that this thing is about the size of a Tahoe or standard length Navigator. Extended length versions not available now, but there's some suggestion that they're on the way. Yeah, I want to just point out real quick uh, the destination fee on all of these two thousand dollars yes have have you seen a two thousand dollar the the destination fees have been skyrocketing in the past five years or so i'm pretty sure this is the first time i've seen a two thousand dollar destination charge i think rolls royce charges about two thousand dollars but but when you when you order a dawn it arrives in bubble wrap yes (laughs) 
And they yeah, probably I, I, spritz like perfume uh, uh, around it too. <laughs> so we should talk a little bit about this vehicle. These are large SUVs. Obviously, Jeep is getting into this segment because, well, there's money there. Um, and, and for whatever reason, Ford, which he can usually just crack any segment open it wants, hasn't really broken into this segment as deeply as you might think. General Motors commands 75% of this segment with the Chevrolet Tahoe and Suburban, with the Yukon and Yukon XL, and the Cadillac Escalade. And, and legendarily, um, General Motors is reported to be making a huge amount of money on these vehicles, as much as $15,000 per unit on the Escalade. So if you're the folks at Jeep, or more importantly, Stellantis, Jeep's new parent company, you're thinking, yeah, we need a piece of that. Yeah, well, you know, and so the last time I believe Jeep had a three-row vehicle was 2010 with the Commander. I think that's when the Commander went away. So, you know, they, they and that was only a one-generation vehicle with a five-year run. Uh, so, I, I mean, they, they really have had trouble, um, Jeep has had trouble breaking into this. And now, um, you know, recently we also talked about the Grand Cherokee L. So right. now, you know, Jeep has wow. three, three three-row SUVs. So the Grand Cherokee L, the Wagoneer, and then the Grand Wagoneer. So I, I find that fascinating. I mean, they're going to have to get something out of this, right? Well, the, yeah. you know what Jeep is getting out of this, too, is is an awful lot of lucky positioning. Jeep mm. was a truck brand, right? And the world has come to Jeep because no one wants cars anymore. Yeah. And, and Jeep is now really very much, if you exclude cars, a full-line manufacturer. They have something in every segment. You've got yeah. the Renegade down at the subcompact end, and now you've got the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer here at the big, highly profitable, uh, large SUV end. And uh, background story, too just the extent to which you think Jeep may or may not be a standalone large brand. They sell an awful lot of vehicles, and there's a lot of talk about Jeep breaking off from the other franchises, uh, the, the, the Chrysler, the Dodge, and the Ram, into separate stores. That's how much volume they're doing. Mm. Yeah, one, one other thing that you pointed out in your, your first look article on this, Tom, is this is... Certainly there are Wranglers that get very incredibly expensive, Gladiators that get very expensive, like well past $50,000, sometimes yeah. cresting sixty. but Jeep has never had a vehicle that hit the six-figure marks, mm -mm. the six-figure mark pricing-wise, and that's going to bring in luxury brand intenders, luxury brand shoppers, where Jeep is, is, and they talk about this in the press release for the, the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, that they're going to have to update their or enhance their dealer experience as well mm -hmm. to serve customers that are full-fledged luxury vehicle buyers. Yeah, they're actually requiring dealers to meet a number of standards, the, the Wagoneer client services standards. And, and one of the things that I've learned was that there will be dealers, Jeep dealers, who will not get this vehicle to sell, at least not initially. Um, uh, I tried to get a number, and the best number I could get is that more than half, more than half of the Jeep uh, franchise network should be able to sell this vehicle. But another interesting point about this vehicle and, and what it means to Jeep is that people who buy cars, 
that cost ninety, a hundred, hundred and ten thousand dollars, buy lots of cars. They tend to have three or four vehicles and huge garages. You want those people in your showroom looking at your other stuff, because if you were picking up for some crazy reason a ninety thousand dollar Grand Wagoneer, maybe you pick up away, uh, you know, a Renegade for the kids. <laughs> yeah, I think, and and you know. As far as Jeep being able to satisfy uh, luxury brand buyers, uh, I have no worries about that because as, we, as we've talked about before, Ram trucks is the, under the same brand, you know, corporate umbrella as Jeep, and you don't need to look no further than a top-line Ram model to see that they have no problems making top flight luxury interiors so i'm really looking forward to seeing just how uh decadently luxurious a top line grand wagoneer is going to be um i I think it's going to be an incredible uh high-end uh experience uh the other thing too we they certainly made quite a splash with the grand wagoneer concept last fall and i remember our questions at that time were how close is the production version going to be to this concept well now now that these production versions have been unveiled the answer is very close yes. <laughs> they are yeah the, you know other other than a little bit of concept car-esque uh window dressing like a fancier light signature and bigger wheels and some you know far out trim pieces minor trim pieces it is the production vehicles are virtually about as close as you can get to a concept vehicle so they did a great job there yeah, well, you know, and, and so speaking of the concept vehicle, it does. We, I, I just want to point out, it does not have a map of Detroit on the on, on the window <laughs> on the roof, the the panoramic roof. But what it does have, and this is what's really cool, and and I think um, a lot of us thought it wasn't going to make it into production. It has a passenger screen. So mm-hmm. the pat, so the, the the Wagoneer has, and the Wagoneer family has a huge amount of technology and and one of those things is a passenger side infotainment entertainment screen that will allow the passenger to you know do some co-pilot functions so send navigation things to uh, the driver but also watch tv well not tv but like fire tv so um or or a movie like pairing their phone to it and I think that is really interesting, and I know we specifically asked, okay, isn't that going to be distracting to the driver? And Jeep has said no, because it's going to be faced towards the passenger, and there's going to be a film over it so that the driver can't actually see it from the driver's seat. So, you know, there's there's that technology, and then they're also giving Wagoneer a version of, like, the self-driving technology, hands-free highway driving, where, like, kind of like Super Cruise. So, I, I mean, in addition to looking great, and looking like the concept pretty closely, like there's so much technology on here. One of the things noted to your point, Jill, in the press release is the total number of inches of screen space yes. in the car. <laughs> so that number appears long before any horsepower numbers. Yeah. Which yeah. Continues to depress me as an aging car lover. But 
<laughs> but that's the way things go. And actually, that leads into our conversation coming up with Robbie DeGraff. But to Damon's point, uh, yeah, if the good folks behind the Ram pickup, which is truly outstanding uh, through their efforts into this vehicle, this could be an incredibly good vehicle, just a very expensive one. So when we get a chance to drive this thing, we'll look back. But right now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we talk to Robbie DeGraff of Auto Pacific. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly suggest you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. If you spot a cool, old, rare, or strange car on the road, just post a picture of it using the car spotter hashtag, and I will share that with my followers. All right. He's an industry analyst with Auto Pacific based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's a lifelong car geek with an editorial background. Uh, he's passionate about figuring out how to make cars safer, more intuitive, and friendlier for our planet. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Robbie DeGraff. Hey, Robbie. Hey, Tom. How's it going? Robbie, it's going good. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here and uh, talk about some infotainment and connectivity trends that are going on in the industry. Yeah, see, here's the problem. I'm old, and I have a certain amount of age-related <laughs> resentment for infotainment. <laughs> and, and you haven't heard it yet, but in the first segment, I noted that that Jeep, which has just launched the Grand Wagoneer, the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, made note mm -hmm. of the total number, the total amount of screen space in the car. <laughs> this oh. is before horsepower, before <laughs> transmissions, even before they got to Napa leather. They want us to know that there are 75 inches of screens in that car. Robbie, what's oh, going on? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's, it's, that's, that's, that's so fun because I remember sitting in the concept of the Grand Wagoneer months back and seeing all those screens and was, I was a little hesitant if they were all going to make it them for production, but it sounds like we'll be getting screens in the dashboard and the back seats and the center consoles and both ends of the car. Um, it's really been interesting over the past, I would say, probably decade or so to see how touchscreens, you know, 10, 15 years ago, touchscreens were kind of the hot commodity. You know, you'd find them in yeah. higher priced vehicles or even even main mainstream vehicles like it was kind of a you know a pricey upgrade to have a touchscreen um but now because the technology is becoming so much cheaper we're finding them in cars that even start below twenty thousand dollars and gone are the days of where a, a six or an eight inch touchscreen was the big deal now we're seeing cars like tesla or ford have like these giant 12 inch touchscreens um which can be found in just pretty much any type of vehicle it's pretty impressive so my big question is, and this will lead to all sorts of other questions, I hope, is is how did we get here and why are we here? Do manufacturers want the touchscreens? Do consumers watch the want the touchscreens? And, and how are consumers responding to these? So the biggest thing to look at, kind of like what I said a couple of seconds ago, too, is um, just it's, it's become so much cheaper to put these touchscreens into cars. Yeah. Um, and as... As we have more and more cell phones getting rolled out that are getting bigger and bigger, um, consumers want touchscreens in their cars that are easy to use, straightforward, they look sharp, 
Um, we do a thing here at Auto Pacific called our Future Attribute Demand Study, which is where we pull tens of thousands of new vehicle owners uh, to kind of gauge like what they want on their next car. You know, what features do you want? How much do you want to pay for it? What What are some things you're not really on board with yet? And the idea of having like a giant touchscreen in a car is like it's been growing in consideration and demand like pretty steadily over the past few years. Um, and I think the the big thing that's really getting people excited about having touchscreens in these cars is that the introduction of this wonderful thing called Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, gone, gone are the days of where we have to have just like a simple Bluetooth connectivity or, you know, plugging in your phone to an aux jack and then having your front seat passenger change the stations for you looking down. Um, the arrival of Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, I think, has changed the whole game in terms of like in-car multi, uh, multimedia systems because now we can essentially mirror exactly what you see on your smartphone onto the dashboard, onto the, the, the touchscreen in the center of the, of the uh, dashboard, and it gives you everything you want. It's really easy to use, and that is one of our like most popular feature demands that we're seeing here at Auto Pacific. We've seen it grown upwards of 11% just over the past two years alone. Wow. So do you know, Robbie, what percent of people who have um, an Android or an iPhone with um, and, and a car that's compatible, what percent of people are actually using um, CarPlay or Android Auto? I don't have an exact percentage of like what people are like, I don't have an exact percentage of like how many people are actually using the system, but I do know that um, the demand for this feature is rising and rising the younger the shoppers. For example, 63%, yeah, 63% of new vehicle owners and shoppers want Android Auto and Apple CarPlay in the next car. And it's interesting because like the older you go, the older you get, the lower the demand actually goes. So for example, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I know I'm I'm 30 years old and I'm definitely excited about having easy access to Android Auto in a car. But uh, I know like my 71 year old father, I don't think he could care anything less about it. And yeah, do you do you think um, just along those lines, if the all the younger buyers and which are obviously representing the future of the industry and consumers, is that sort of making manufacturer engineered infotainment interfaces somewhat redundant because if the touchscreen mm -hmm. is ultimately going to serve as a portal for your phone software do manufacturers even need to spend that much time developing the systems of their own that's a great question um i think that manufacturers are definitely like keep going forth like putting into you know having like a pretty basic multimedia system um but i really do think in five ten years android auto and apple carplay that's going to be like the instant thing you do as soon as you get in the car that's the first thing that loads up whether it be wirelessly or wired um i think that there are going to be some apps that are going to be really important to have still like in the car's multimedia system itself that you would access like directly through the touchscreen. Mm -hmm. um 
I do see though that it's going to be the like that's going to be the thing. Like as soon as you get in the car, your phone is automatically projected onto that touchscreen in the center of your car. So yeah, I feel like that's that's probably going to be becoming like even more popular and more of like a mainstream thing, uh, where we're going to be seeing like Apple iOS or Android Auto kind of just like replace just you know a, a car's like main multimedia system like interface. Yeah. So I want to transition away from like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto just a little bit because um, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think you're going to see more and more that replacing some of the inherent native systems. I mean, especially like on cars mm-hmm. that are basic and they don't have navigation. Well, now you have navigation because you have Apple CarPlay. But what I want to ask you mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. is I want to start transitioning into the systems themselves. And um, I know you guys have done a lot of studies about this. Um, how do people feel about a volume knob versus a slider? <laughs> Everybody wants to know because uh, Honda did a thing a couple of years ago yeah, uh, where they removed the volume knob. Sure, remind, remind mm-hmm. me to share my point, uh, my opinion on that. Oh, I think I know what your opinion is. <laughs> I, would, I would even say my opinion is probably the same as, uh, as, as all of you. Um, there's, you know, while there is a demand for like bigger touch screens, it's still kind of a slow demand. And I do believe that consumers really still want easy buttons, easy dials, easy knobs to control everything from like the stereo yes. to, mm-hmm. to the navigation to the HVAC. I think the most important thing is that there are car companies that are doing such a great job of like integrating these gigantic touchscreens. Uh, I was in the 2021 Ford F-150 power boost hybrid a couple weeks ago and it has this gorgeous 12 inch touchscreen that's you know horizontally very cleanly integrated into the dash and like while it may seem like daunting at first to use it's so great that ford still kept a traditional like row of buttons for the climate Mm -hmm. control and the audio control yes it is Um, yeah 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 and 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 i think that the the older your car shopper um, the more, I think the, the less amount of patience they're probably going to have when it comes to like, you know, if they're driving down the road and they just want to simply pull up one thing on the, on the, on the multimedia system, you know, maybe to change to like AM radio or like queue up a new playlist or something like it's, it's so much safer to have actual physical buttons and dials right. than having to fumble looking around yeah. on the touchscreen or down at a trackpad. Because the more you take your eyes off the road, the, it, it's just dangerous. Mm-hmm. I, I think, and Robbie, to just to underscore your point about old people. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, Tom. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm good with it. I've, I've come to accept it. But I really need knobs for certain things. And, and I find that mm-hmm. I know that if I drove my own car, I would pre-program stations. But the absolute nightmare of getting from XM33 first wave up to some new station over 110 in some cars <laughs> using push buttons. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah, gosh. I'm usually home before I find it. It's, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, to any extent that you can influence manufacturers to make sure there's always a volume knob and a tuning knob, mm-hmm. I'm almost cool mm-hmm. with everything. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will do my absolute. I will do my absolute best. You know, I want. I want Thank consumers, you. consumers, and drivers' eyes to be kept on the road as much as they can. Um, you know, because these giant touchscreens, they're they're great. They're flashy. They're kind of like the hot thing right now. But 
at the end of the day, you don't want to be looking down to your right at the screen for more than a second or two and then miss a stop sign or rear end somebody. Um, I think it's kind of like what Jill was saying in terms of like different systems and like the, the executions of them. Uh, Lexus is kind of doing something a little bit interesting. I feel like they're kind of a hit or a miss when it comes to like ergonomics and how to use some of these controls. Have you been in one of the new cars that has the volume knob and track changing knob built into the same dial itself? I don't think I have. If I have, I like missed it. <laughs> yeah, did the new, uh, did the refreshed IS get, I know that that had the touch screen functionality finally in addition to the remote touch. I can't remember what the volume knob setup was though. Mm-hmm. So in, I was just in the 2021 ES250 all-wheel drive F Sport, and that did have still the the, the trackpad, um, which was kind of disappointing to use because I feel like it's just not as accurate, mm-hmm. accurate as one would think. But they have this great execution, and I really wish other automakers would do this, where the top of the volume knob controls the volume, but then all you have to do is just move your fingers just like a few centimeters down and there's a knob oh. directly below it that allows you to it's do like immediate two- track changes. Yes, like yes, I love tiered, that. I've, two, I have pointed that out setup, on Twitter. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a dual function setup and I think that's such an excellent and quick and most importantly safe way to just execute these like track these track changes radio station changes um because it you know it eliminates the need to have to like lean over a little bit and tap a couple buttons to go up or down a few stations or find the other the tuning knob i love the fact that lexus puts two functions into one dial and i really hope other automakers start to kind of mirror that well, and so you, we've been kind of dancing around this um, for for probably the last couple of minutes. Um, you keep saying safe, safety, safe. It's safer this way. So you go through a lot of systems in a year. You, you've probably seen everything from most of the manufacturers out there, and there are systems like Lexus that have a trackpad. There's systems like Mazda that have the True Touch thing, where it's like, I don't like it, the mimicking the screen with the trackpad. Then you have Mazda with the mm-hmm. rotary dial, and then you have systems that do both, um, have a touchscreen and a rotary dial, or have you know just a touchscreen. So what what is the safety standard? Like, what, what do you think is the, one of the safest systems or the best systems out there, and why? That's a great question. Um, I am honestly going to say probably um, I do like Toyota's systems in the sense that you know, to do simple track and audio changes, you have your buttons there. Uh, while it's a little bit problematic at first to figure out whether you're a journalist or you're a first-time consumer hopping in a car, I'm actually a big fan of BMW's iDrive. Huh. Um, I know. That, <laughs> We're like, huh? I know. That, yeah, I know that. And that's, that kind of catches some people off guard, but. You know, I mean, we all know, like, 10, 10 years ago when iDrive first came out, it was it was kind of a disaster. It was, was complicated. It was clunky. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was dangerous. And I think with the newer iDrive in some of these cars, once you spend a couple minutes in park, you know, programming some of the stuff and making sure everything's, like, set up the way you want it and you get kind of the basic idea of, like, how to navigate the system, 
it's very easy to keep driving and just be able to use the dial and some of the nearby buttons to make quick track changes. And what's also great is the head-up display in some of these BMWs with the iDrive actually allows you to see directly right out the window, like right out through your windshield, like what track changes you're making, what menus wanna, you want to access. Um, I think in terms of touch screens, I do not think the bigger the touch screen, the safer it is when you're moving. I think having a giant touch screen with like a lot of great real estate is good when you're parked. You know, uh -huh. nobody, nobody should be driving down the road with one hand and one hand on the wheel and the other hand trying to put in an address on a big touch screen. And thankfully, like some manufacturers, you know, eliminate that from actually like <laughs> being a possibility to happen. But I think if you have a good touch screen that can be quickly accessed and like customized while you're parked, that's perfect. I think when you have like a really good setup, like, you know, with a nice bank of knobs or a nice bank of buttons that you can access while you're driving without having to look away for a second or two, I think that's, I think that's the way to go. FCA is, or, oh wow. Now we're in the time. Stellantis. Yeah. <laughs> has, um, <laughs> I've been doing that all day. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. I need to, I need to change the autocorrect on my phone to that. I keep typing that. Um, <laughs> I, I think that you know when you look at a vehicle like the Ram 1500, which is it's, it's an excellent truck, and that giant touchscreen is it's impressive it's it's pretty cool you can do a lot you can get this gigantic tablet sized gps map showing everything um but Stellantis is committing still to thankfully having all those buttons and dials on either side of it i think that's what every automaker needs to do i do not think that we should get rid of the volume knob i do not think we should get rid of the tuning knob um and i think it needs to be standard across the entire trim level of a car for example, in a Hyundai, like in a Sonata, you can get the smaller screen with still the volume knob, still the tuning knob, uh, still some of the buttons. But then once you go up in screen size, and yeah, it looks a little bit more premium and classy, but you lose some of those actual physical buttons and dials. And I really wish automakers would commit to keeping those, even in the higher trims where the screen does get bigger. I totally wish that as well. Robbie, somehow, someway, we've completely burned through our time, but I loved having you on the show. We're going to have to do this mm -hmm. again soon. One of the things about you that I think people need to know is you are fabulous to follow on Twitter. How can people follow you there? <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, so I am at Robbie underscore DeGraff, D-E-G-R-A-F-F. -F. And you can also follow us at Auto Pacific. All right, people should do that. He's Robbie DeGraff. He's with Auto Pacific. He's also just a pretty cool guy. We'll have him back on the show sometime very soon. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. It's quiz time, but before then, Jill. Yes. Jill, you're active on Menza Link. How can the kids follow you there? Why, I am a member of Mensa. How did you know that? I did not know that. <laughs> Uh, no, I Menza with a Z, not an S. Um, Menza, no. 
I am not a member of that. Uh, but uh, I am active on pretty much other every other social media that actually exists. <laughs> including TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and you can find me at Jill Simonello. So it's just my, my name, all one word, um, and I often use the hashtag car du jour, so car du jour, all one word. So there that's you how go. you can find me. All right. Hey, Damon, you're a thinker linker. What's the deal? <laughs> oh, he switched it up. Thinker linker. No, that's what they call the people at the Menza site. Got it. Wow. Wow, this is super elaborate. Uh, I like to think. I like I like to think, but I'm not a thinker linker. I'm on Twitter at Damon Bell likes cars. Isn't that really the same thing? I know you're kind of linking thoughts there, right? Sure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I have I have good news for both of you. It's quiz time. We need quiz time music. Oh. Or like a dun-dun-dun kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Some sound effects. I need some drama. Is this a a Mensa-themed quiz? It is not. (laughs) It is a map-themed quiz. In honor of last week's super popular geography-based multicultural quiz, I've gone back to the topic. I hope you guys are ready. Today's topic is foreign brands. Okay. All right. Jill, you go first this week. Jill, the Daihatsu brand made a brief U.S. market appearance in the 80s. Who can forget the Daihatsu charade? Daihatsu is now part of the Toyota family. Was Daihatsu originally a Japanese company, a Korean company, a Malaysian company, or a French company? Um, I honestly do not remember Daihatsu. Um, That was a time before Jill drove. Uh, So let's see. I'm. I think it's either Korean or Malaysian. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with Korean. All right. Damon yeah. Daihatsu, Japanese, Korean, Malaysian, or French? I think. Boy, I'm not sure, but I think I have to agree with Jill and say Korean. You guys do not remember the Daihatsu Rocky? <laughs> I do. Kind of a cool. I do remember. I remember the Rocky. I remember the charade. I think of the charade as an especially <laughs> the the negative connotations of that name are are. It's a terrible name. It is a name for me. It's a terrible name. The other one, the other one that I remember, kind of along those same lines, is the Ford Aspire. Yeah. For for a for a chintzy subcompact car, it's like yes, you would aspire to be not driving an Aspire. You aspire to have more. <laughs> yeah, that, that was actually a joke at the Ford dealership. I sold cars at briefly. You aspire to drive anything else. Anything but, yes. Yeah, and, and you guys would have aspired to pick Japanese because Daihatsu Ooh. is a Japanese brand. Drat. All right. Okay. No one scores okay. on that one. Damon, this question goes to you. Damon, which of the following is not a Korean car maker? Daewoo, Sang, I'm sorry, Sangyang, Renault Samsung, or Wu Ling? Mm, I'm going to say Wu Ling. Jill, same question to you. Daewoo, Sang Yang, Renault Samsung, or Wu Ling? Ugh, I've never heard of Wu Ling. So my tendency would be to go that way. Um, but 
since I tend to be on a losing streak, I'm, I, I won't I won't agree with Damon because <laughs> uh, he's probably right. Uh, so I'm going to go with Renault Samsung. Ooh, Wuling is in fact a Chinese company, so Damon is on the board. Renault Samsung is a JV now, but Samsung was a Korean maker. So Damon with one point. We move on to question three. Jill, part of the Volkswagen Group since 2000, the Skoda brand does business in more than 100 countries, though not the U.S. Where was Skoda founded and where is it still headquartered? Czechoslovakia, Germany, Poland, or Ireland? Skoda. Um, kind of like Yoda. Uh, no, not at all like Yoda. Um, I kind, I kind of want to say Czechoslovakia. Um, you said Czechoslovakia, Germany, Poland, or Ireland, right? Yes. Wow, my brain is on top of it this morning. Um, I, yeah, I'm gonna say Czechoslovakia. All right, Damon. Same question to you. Question to you. Oh. I'm hung, I'm, I'm hung up. I'm hung up between Czechoslovakia and Poland. Yeah, I was too. Uh, so many tourists are too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I think I'm gonna be. Jill has now influenced my uh, answer, so I was sort of leaning towards Poland, uh, but I'm gonna go with oh, what she said. Oh, don't trust me. What are you talking about? I'm not winning here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as it turns out, you're both right then, because Czechoslovakia is the correct answer. Damon with two, Jill with one. We go to question four. Damon, this one goes to you. Damon, also part of the Volkswagen empire, Seat has been moving cars in Europe since 1950. What is Seat's nation of origin? Is it German, French, Spanish, or Austrian? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Spanish. Jill? Yeah, I actually, I want to say Spanish, too. Well, you both said the right thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I can't, I can't disagree to just disagree, because I was like 99.9% .9 certain that it was Spanish. <laughs> All right. You it's can two tell, to three. You can, tell, you can tell somebody's not uh, familiar with automotive brands if they pronounce Seat, Seat. Yeah. Because it's spelled S-E-A-T. Yeah. But you say Seat. Yeah, that's a, great point. that's a great point. I'm pretty sure I said seed until yesterday when I looked up the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyone can win this one. Well, no, you guys can tie yeah. it up and then Jill could win it on the bonus question. Jill, which of the following is not an Indian car maker? Mm. Mahindra, Mahindra, Tata, Tata. Maruti Suzuki, or Noble? Oh, I know the first two definitely are. Uh, so what? say the last two again. Number three was Maruti Suzuki, obviously a JV, and Noble. See, you throw me off with this double name thing. Um, and then it ends up being the, the random odd man out because Noble does not sound at all like it would be Indian. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I kind of feel like it would be that one. Um, so I'm going to go with Jill Logic and I'm going to say Noble. Noble. Damon, this question goes to you. Which of the following is not an Indian car maker? Mahindra, Tata, Maruti Suzuki, or Noble? Mm. 
My deliberations are exactly the same as Jill's. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I think I have to agree with her. I think I got to say Noble. You're both correct. Noble is a British car maker that comes and goes as it pleases. Uh, you both get a point. Damon, you have won this one, but it was very close at four to three. Oh. All right. Noble comes and comes and goes as it pleases. It's it's one of those small companies. It's one of those small companies that is either in business or not in business on a monthly basis. I haven't checked them out. I think they just make like little sports cars. Yeah, I feel like I've I've seen them before somewhere. All right. Uh, The bonus question, which we do for no particular reason because I bothered to research it, uh, goes to Damon first. Damon, are you ready? Uh, yes. All right. Damon, easily the best major film release of 2004, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was denied Best Picture Honors by the Motion Picture Academy. Some Lord of the Rings thing won. Still, we can rejoice in the film's artistry and splendor and the introduction of a new exciting vehicle, the Paddy Wagon. That's Paddy, P-A-T-T-Y, Wagon. Before taking off for Shell City, SpongeBob gives Patrick a quick walk around of the Paddy Wagon. Damon, which of the following features was not among those highlighted during that walk around presentation? Are you ready? Sure. Sesame seed finish, steel belted pickles, blowfish mirror air freshener, grilled leather interior, fuel injected fryer. I'm sorry, fuel injected grease fryer. Man, I've just, I just have to point out there's a, there's a lot of uh, just under the surface editorializing in that question. No, what? <laughs> I, well, the lead up to your question. It's very clear that your, <laughs> your, your opinion of the SpongeBob uh, movie is, is very obvious. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say it. This is a great movie. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was totally not getting it. Was it great or are you being sarcastic? No, no this he's movie not rocks. being sarcastic. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to have you go through that entire <laughs> list of features once again. Sure. Which of the following is not a feature of the paddy wagon? Sesame seed finish, steel belted pickles, blowfish mirror air freshener, grilled leather interior, or fuel injected grease fryer? I'm going to say the the blowfish mirror. All right. Jill, this question goes to you. Uh, I am going to go with um, good grief. I, I mean, I know SpongeBob SquarePants was a thing. Um, I, I could even is probably a is a picture SpongeBob in my head. Um, but beyond that, I'll, I, in the big yellow blob, I got nothing. So um, I'm, I'm going to go with sesame seed finish. All right. Both excellent guesses, but Damon gets it. The blowfish mm-hmm. mirror air freshener, oh. not a thing. It should be. All right. Why would you need All an right. air freshener for a mirror? I don't know. Well, but it would, it would be a mirror that doubles as an air freshener. Okay. And related to the paddy wagon, the best line from the movie, quote, you don't need a license to drive a sandwich. All right. (laughs) Hey, Damon. Words to live by. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, On a completely unrelated note, uh, what's going on? It it would be scary if it was a related note, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
and that's sort of a waste of listeners' time, I think. Uh, <laughs> what what is going on at the CG Daily Drive blog? Uh, we've got a great roster of articles yet again this week. Uh, first and foremost, we've got our first look of the Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer that we talked about in the first segment. And yes, there's a there's certainly a lot to digest there with the huge model lineup and, and all the features that Jeep is putting into those vehicles. So we've got a full first look article at that. Uh, we've got test drive reviews of the 2021 Lexus UX250H F-Sport. That's Lexus's subcompact hybrid uh, crossover SUV. Uh, and another fuel-efficient uh, SUV, that is the 2021 Mini Cooper SE Countryman all-four PHEV. That's a mouthful, but that is Mini's uh, plug-in hybrid subcompact crossover uh, a neat uh, mini cooper-esque sporty styled uh, uh, runabout that has got the efficiency of a plug-in hybrid powertrain and then on the opposite end of the suv spectrum uh, and a nice counterpart to the wagoneer and grand wagoneer article we've got a test drive of the 2021 chevrolet suburban high country high country is the top trim level of the suburban that is a bunch of truck it's a bunch of truck and a bunch of cash to get one it's a uh, $84,045 was our as tested price but yes that is top dog of Chevrolet's uh, big SUV lineup. And this is the long wheelbase version of the Tahoe. Yes, right. Suburban is is the is yeah. The Chevy does it a little bit different than the rest in that they've got that historic suburban name, which over time has evolved to be the long, uh, length, longest length version of the full size SUV. And Tahoe is based on the same basic platform, but is the shorter length version. We we have to say relatively shorter because <laughs> the Tahoe, they're, they're big. Even they're both very big vehicles. Yes. They are, and, and then historically, historically, the Tahoe was once known as the Blazer, and the Blazer name has been seriously repurposed by Chevy to be a uh, five-seat crossover and Trailblazer, a compact or subcompact crossover. So these names have strange, twisted tails. For sure, there's been definitely a, a shell game with Chevy SUV names over the past decade or so, because of course Trailblazer used to be sort of a, an ancestor to the Blazer itself. Trailblazer was a midsize, uh, actually that was body on frame SUV. Uh, so yes, a, a convoluted history there, but uh, the Suburban has reigned for a long time as the, the top dog in Chevy's SUV lineup. Um, and then we also have uh, a look back at the 15 fastest cars of 1982 uh, with an asterisk that's asterisk that's as tested by consumer guide uh and yeah if you want to feel good about the state of the auto industry today, <laughs> look, no, look no for look no further than uh 1982 and see what passed as a fast car uh back then the top well just a uh, spoiler alert the top of the list was a chevy corvette any guesses as to what the zero to 60 time of a 1982 chevy corvette Corvette was in consumer guide testing. Well, I wrote the article, so I'm passing this question oh. to Jill. <laughs> um, I, I'll say seven seconds. 
Oh, excellent guess, Jill. 7.5 seconds. <laughs> yes. Which, that was which I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure a V6 Camry can handily best <laughs> that in a drag race. So Yeah. Um, Yes, that's and, and Chevrolet. Can the, I was going to say, ask can the uh, um, the new Grand Wagoneer uh, yes, with the six point yes. four liter engine, which has a six, yes. zero to sixty time of six seconds. Yes, to put it even uh, sharper point on it, yes, a gigantic uh, three row SUV can beat a nineteen eighty two Corvette. All right. Now, Jill, we, we drove the UX, the Lexus mm-hmm. UX, which is Lexus's subcompact crossover. And I mm-hmm. believe that you have noted either today on the show or in an email, my memory fails, I'm old, <laughs> that you like the really weird palm control system uh, for the infotainment and uh, operation in that car. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like my favorite. Really? really? No, no. <laughs> oh, I thought you liked it. Um, well, so I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with these trackpad palm <laughs> systems because I really, really like the idea of them. And I'll say the the UX. So when I drove the UX, it, and it's been a few years. I, I would say it was like 2018. And, and maybe 2019, because I feel like it came out as a 2019 model. And so when it first came out, it was so much better than the system that had preceded it that I liked it. Um, but now, with the onslaught of more systems that have like redundant touchscreen, and I, I mean, similar to what we were talking about with. Um, the, with Robbie, the, the systems that have the redundant screens, uh, yeah. I tend to like those a little bit better because then you can use that trackpad for one or two things, but then, you know, to easily swipe or whatever, you can use the, the touchscreen. But um, no, I, I unfortunately, I, I liked it and I don't like it as much as I did when I first drove it. All right, all right. I thought you liked it a lot. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, this is a system that looks for all the world like an umpire's counter, right? It, 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 it's, a, it's a palm device that fits in front of the armrest, and you can use it and just use your thumb to scroll a knob around the side of the device, and it's great for volume. It's a little weird for other functionality, but I think you can move between audio sources as well using that. So I guess if you get used to it, it's nice to have it right there at your hand. Yeah. It's a little weird. It looks a little weird. It doesn't actually present well, um, but it is a novel system, and I think that is the only application of that that Lexus employs. Well, keep in mind, too, I'm short, so a lot of these things that are right at your thumb are not at my thumb. Yeah, not super worried about your thumbs, but that's I worth know. noting. I know. <laughs> Thanks. You, I Jill, like my thumbs. Jill, even, Jill even, with the seat, even with you would have the seat moved up accordingly, does your hand not fall at the leading edge of that armrest? Well, so what happens is then, in order to reach it, I'm behind. Hmm. Okay. And, and right. maybe not that, but it's it just, I have weird driving position, so. There you have it. Yeah. Jill has weird driving positions. Folks, write that down. All right. We're out of time. Special thanks today to Robbie DeGraff of Auto Pacific for joining us. We have to continue that conversation at some point. As always, thanks to Jill and Damon. You guys are great co-hosts. Special thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. Thanks, as always, for keeping us on during the pandemic. And a shout out to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. How am I going to schedule you guys on the show? 
show again. All right, let's talk more about cars again next week.